Good afternoon and welcome to our Tuesdays at 2 live with Cinevision Leadership Foundation. I am Todd Greer, Executive Director of Cinevision Leadership Foundation. I'm excited to be here again today with my good friend Brian Soy. Brian is joining us for the third part of our series on mission-driven nonprofits. But before we get to Brian, as we do each and every week, we want to let you in on some really important information from Cinevision Leadership Foundation. As always, we want to remind you about our Nonprofit Performance Magazine. You can find that at nonprofitperformance.org. Brian is a contributor on issue number two, which will land on December 1st. So be uh, attuned and, and keep looking for that. We're really excited because we've got some great things in store. We've got this issue that's coming out, and we're really talking about values in issue number two. We've got some great thinkers, including just, uh, just heard recently, Bishop T.D. Jakes is going to be our featured personality for issue number two. That's an extremely exciting thing for us at Center Vision Leadership Foundation, and we are really excited because we've just found out issue number three is going to be focusing on millennials in generations in the nonprofit world. And coming up, we will have Francis Hesselby, uh, who is the former CEO of Girl Scouts of America, former the founding CEO of the Peter Drucker Nonprofit Institute. She is going to be our featured personality for the March magazine. So big things happening around Nonprofit Performance Magazine. We also want to remind you every Thursday at 4 p.m. we continue the conversation from our Tuesdays at 2 and we engage in nonprofit chat. I know we sometimes have issues following that. In fact, last week it felt like Twitter blew up and stopped working at Thursday at 4 p.m. but we continue to work through tweetchat.com slash room slash nonprofit chat or you can just go on Twitter and write in that hashtag nonprofit chat and you can follow the discussion. Brian Soy, our guest today, is going to be with us in that conversation. We're going to go deeper in our conversation and we want to invite you to join us as we ask really important questions about what does it mean for us to be mission driven in our nonprofit organizations. As always, want to remind you, you can find past events or archived events through our website, centervisionleadership.org slash hangouts. All right, so that's the information. That's the announcements. Here we are. I am joined again this week, the third out of uh, our series of three mission-driven nonprofits. Brian, thanks for being with us. And Brian... You're muted there. There once, we go. Once again, I am muted because I was trying to eliminate noise. Yeah, thanks again. It's good to, good to be here again. And, uh, you know, I'm still getting used to these Google Hangout things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always a work in progress, so we're excited to have you back. Uh, folks, if you've been tuning in, if you followed Brian in our conversations, if you followed him through the tweet chat that we've been uh, engaging in, the nonprofit chat, and if you haven't yet, if you've looked at, and, and I'm telling you right now, Look up, raise your voice. This is a book that you need to have. Brian has been gracious in walking us through this process. This is our third conversation. Today we're talking about the last six of the pillars, the principles that make up the cause manifesto. Last week we, we laid out things with the first six, 
and we did it using a hypothetical organization. We're going to come back to organization this week as we think about and engage what does it look like to be a mission-driven organization in, in regard to these things. So for point of review, I want to remind you our hypothetical organization is the Indianapolis Housing or Homeless Coalition. It is an organization that has a stated mission. Its stated mission is to serve the homeless community in Indianapolis by providing shelter, food, and transitional services that give individuals a brighter future. And we, we did some work last week as we talked about honing in and harnessing that mission and making sure that we don't fall to mission creep. We're going to continue that discussion today. We're talking today about six principles. The first three are very relational, the relational principles. And the second three are aspirational principles, or the things that we aspire to be in our organization. So without further ado, we come to be social. All right, here we go. We will be ambassadors for our cause and recognize that every interaction is an opportunity to build relationships. Brian, what does that look like then for our hypothetical organization, the Indianapolis Housing or Homeless Coalition? What does it look like for them to be social? Well, this organization, when they were social, is going to think, oh, we're, we need to have a social media campaign. And that, that's exactly the point where you, you, you grab that big lever that says break and you yank it to bring the entire train to a complete stop because you know, being social is not just about what we have come to know as social media. The, the, the secret is, is that everything we do is social. So it's, it's a Google Hangout. It's one-on-one -on -one meetings. It's any type of design that communicates in some way. It's the website, it's, it is social media too, but um, you know, so much of what we do is relational. Um, the, the things that we do outside of the one-on-one -on -one relationships is all geared toward engaging people in a conversation, starting a conversation, and getting them to this point where you can have a conversation with them one-on-one -on -one and actually draw them into the, your experience so that your experience becomes part of their story. Yeah, that's really intriguing, Brian, because I think what tends to happen, and I appreciate you uh, focusing and, and, and pointing out that social media is not the only place for being social. In fact, I, I, I want to challenge that even further and say, I think in many ways our, our focus on social media has actually pulled us further from the relational principles that you talk about, because I think a lot of times what ends up happening, and I was just sharing with you before, I think we, we tend to look at this as a way that we can chuck information out there and, and hope somebody's going to pick it up, and we forget that we have a responsibility as, as, as keepers of the cause, as voices uh, who are being raised up, that we need to go and we need to have conversations, but we also need to listen. We need to be relating to people in that. Sure, because they're going to have concerns. They're going to have their own ideas. They're going to have their perceptions about the organization, and... You know, even even when you're talking food, uh, shelter, and other services, you know, I mean, it just it just smacks of you know we're we're everything to everybody in that space, and and how easy it is to mission creep, and mm -hmm. you know, uh, understanding that, and and analyzing, and and looking at you know, eighty percent of what we do maybe is shelter, so maybe we need to refine our mission, and and seeing how that watching and seeing and experiencing what others see can help us refine what we what it is we're doing. 
That's a great point. I actually was uh, looking at an article earlier today that was talking about, it was a, a contributor to Forbes some time back, they were talking about the importance of collaboration in nonprofits. And I, I think for uh, too long we, we've been very scared and very territorial when it comes to things like collaboration. Uh, and and the, the writer of this article was actually saying that there are times that we need to think about maybe we're presenting duplicative uh, services or products and maybe it's important for us either to back off or even to engage and think about how do we combine the organizations to do that and, and you bring that to light with maybe when we're talking about food in our organization maybe we're, we're really duplicating the efforts of the Indianapolis Food Bank or, or uh, some entity that's there and maybe when we think about um, transitional services, maybe we're stepping into the realm of some other social service. So it's really important going back to what you talk about being mission-driven is to make sure that we have really focused our mission uh, and that it's not way wide, uh, but it's really, it's very clarified as we go forward. Absolutely. And, and, and I think the, the more time goes by, you're going to see more and more funders wanting more and more organizations to talk about collaborating, uh, to eliminate the duplication of services because they want to fund impact. So if there are two or three organizations doing the exact same thing, you know, e even though there is some noble reason why the founder started it, if, if they're all doing the same thing, they may need to look at consolidation or cooperation in order to maintain some semblance of funding. And I mean, you can already see that with United Way across the country as they've refined to income, health, and I believe um, education you know, there there are groups of nonprofits that are no longer funded by the United Way, and but they are being encouraged to collaborate or consolidate. Absolutely, and I think that's such an interesting thing. You know, we've we've tended to be so. I, I'm going to again go to the word territorial. We're, we're very careful about maintaining our funding and maintaining our dollars, mm -hmm. but sometimes, as you pointed out when we were talking about last week, sometimes we do end up chasing the dollars. And, and we do increase our mission creep simply because we're chasing the funding that we believe that we need and it's actually in many ways taking away from who we intend to be as an organization. Right, and it could be taking away from other organizations that deliver the same services you know, much more efficiently. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I think that, that brings us back to the idea and uh, I don't want to go into this because if I remember, it's part of the pieces we've, we've talked about or we're getting ready to talk about. The importance of knowing to be able to measure where we're at. Um, you know, we, if, if we're not measuring, uh, then we don't know what we're really accomplishing. And maybe there are others that are measuring and doing it better than we are. Sure. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, it's just something that everybody just needs to ha have an awareness of. And it's, it's easy to to lose the awareness of that when you're so focused on the day-to-day, -day, delivering the services or you know, just securing funding so you can continue another three, six months, a year. Definitely. Part of this relational process, and I want to move into the, the second of the principles that you put out, is this idea of, of being grateful. You say, be grateful. Uh, we will express our gratitude to our supporters, remembering that their gifts are meaningful and their generosity makes a difference. And I think that, that very much dovetails into the conversation that we were having about uh, making sure that we're really bringing impact. Uh, you know, we've got to stop looking, I think, at times about uh, protecting our funding or even making sure that we have salaries. And we've got to look at 
if we're not doing the job that we set up to do, then we've got to change or mm -hmm. we've got to end. Sure, sure. And uh, how, yeah, how many nonprofits do you know that have said, no, we're done, we've, we've achieved our vision and our mission is complete? You know, I, I can't think of any myself. It's once we start, we exist in perpetuity, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think there, there you know, needs to be some difficult choices made uh, because, you know, what happens in it? Board, the board loses interest. Um, you've, what if what if the founder is no longer around? Mm. Is is the memory of why the organization exists still valid, or is the the passion for why it exists still still valid? Or you know maybe just exists because there's a large pool of money and it's paying somebody's salary, but there's really no reason for it. That's a great point. So Brian, how do we how do we look at being grateful then in our organizations if we recognize what we just listed were a lot of the traps that are present for us in, in these social benefit organizations. How do we recognize and how do we engage this gratefulness then as we think about even our hypothetical organization with the homeless shelter? Well, the, to me, the whole idea of gratefulness goes back to the donors. And it's not so much the it's not so much the people who are receiving the services. It's the, the agency itself, the, the going back to the donors and expressing gratitude at every step of the way. Uh, one example is the food bank that I serve on. I know the president, or not the president, but our executive director signs a thank you note for every donation that's made. Last time I talked to her, she said she had a stack of a thousand that she signed till midnight one night because it could be a $2 donation and she'll send a thank you. Uh, you know, it's it's that donor experience, so that the donor knows that their gift was meaningful. I, I think a lot of times, you know, in the fervor for delivering services for accomplishing the mission, it's like the the donors perceived sometimes as a wallet, mm -hmm. or or you may hear this in a church. They're <laughs> they're a giving unit. You know, let's let's measure the number of giving units we have, and you know, it's it. I hope that makes some people uncomfortable, but that is language I hear in the church. You know, they're not giving units. We are all people. We have our own interests. We, I mean, I like my money. I mean, I like to also be generous with it, but I am going to be more generous with it when I know that it is appreciated mm. as, as, as much as with my time, too. Uh, I'm, I'm more inclined to volunteer my time, which to me is more precious than money because we have a fixed amount of time. I can go out and make more money. So if someone's just abusing me as a volunteer and not expressing gratitude for my time, uh, shame on me for continuing to volunteer, but shame on them for not valuing the time that I am giving freely to serve whatever cause it is I'm serving. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think it's important for each of us to hear some of those truths that are, are real for us. Um, when we run an organization that's based around a cause, we're going to draw people in who are very passionate about that cause. And it's important for us to be able to harness that and, and to really be individuals that care for and genuinely steward both the, uh, the, the monetary resources, but more importantly, even the human resources, the people who come and generously give. It's important for us to make sure that we're using those things in an appropriate manner. We, we want to know the people that serve alongside of us and, and use them in a way that, that best 
uses their gifts and best uh, takes care of their time. I think that's a, a really important thing. And I, again, I appreciate the the thought of your executive director there at the Second Harvest Food Bank, um, who's willing to sign uh, and to to give that personal gratitude. I, I think that's we live in a world that um, the only mail most of us receive are bills or junk mail. So having a, a signed you know letter or having a signed uh, postcard is something that we recognize. Wow, this person truly took time to care about us. Sure. Yeah, and and you know seeing that it's done in ink on a you know on a note card itself, not just a form letter. That, I mean that makes a lot of difference, I think. Um, you know, and I think this is really you know, this whole idea um, you know expressing gratitude is particularly important uh, for churches. Mm. Because there is a call from the basic beliefs to serve, but the the appreciation for that service is often overlooked, or the the volunteers are taken advantage of. I think I think churches need to see people as volunteers and servants at the same time, and know they're doing it out of compassion or a dedication to that particular cause. But knowing that they have fixed time, they have uh, full time jobs, <laughs> and and not to make it more difficult for them than it needs to be for them to serve. So uh, I, what I'm hearing almost is the fact that when we talk about being grateful, we're also talking about making sure that we're not putting barriers in front of the, the people that are serving as well. Is that well, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's I, I could go on for hours about you know, volunteering to do something and then you know that... So we volunteer, here's just a generic example, we volunteered to do something, my wife and I did. We rearranged our schedule on a Saturday at the end of the, so that at the end of the day we could show up and we knew we were supposed to have a team together to do the, so we show up to assemble you know, some, some signs and come to find out that it had already been done by another group of volunteers a day or two earlier, but nobody, could, nobody bothered to call us, text us, shoot us an email, hey, it's done, don't worry about showing up. So not only do we rearrange an entire day, we, you know, it, it, it really uh, demotivated us and, you know, took that desire to serve down one more level. Sure. Well, which is interesting because I'm, I'm going to move into uh, what is now our eighth principle. Uh, it's the third of the relational principles. The idea here is is be trustworthy. Mm. Think about that. You say, we will seek accountability and transparency, acting and speaking in a manner consistent with our values, character, and culture. And I think that's a, a really intriguing one, because uh, in the example that you just put out there, uh, you and your wife, you, you didn't feel the organization was trustworthy, because uh, there wasn't a sense of transparency, there wasn't a sense of accountability in many ways, uh, that they were taking care of you and living out their values. And I, I think, is that a big struggle for a lot of nonprofits as you see it, Brian? I, I, think, it, I think it is because think about that. That's, you know, they're saying these are our values, but the, they're not putting them into action. So you know, they're picking and choosing which values to put into action instead of being very holistic about it. And, it, it, you know, it's... So there's that disconnect between the values uh, because yeah, if you read that, it's speak, you know, acting and speaking in a manner consistent with our values, our character, and our culture. And 
understandably, all organizations are made up of people, and we're all, you know, none of us are perfect. And, but these are really intentional things that sh I think are broad enough that need to be really highly valued as important. They're not, they're not an afterthought. You know, volunteer coordination is not an afterthought. There are systems in place, systems that can be used, um, scheduling, email, uh, texting to communicate better. Oh, gosh, it all comes back to communication. Mm. Um, there's just that, not that commitment to communication, which is what connects the values within the culture. And well, let's wrap something real concrete about it. Um, I, I want to think about that trustworthiness, and what does it look like for our hypothetical organization? What does it look like for them to be trustworthy? You talk about communication. Uh, what, what would consistency look like between what they're saying, what they're doing, what they believe, and how they're acting? What does that look like, do you think? Well, you know, if their, their, their mission is to deliver these services, uh, and they cannot do it on their own, especially an organization like that. Probably does not have the, the staff to do everything, cook the meals, serve the meals, keep the place clean. So they're going to rely on volunteers. So ideally, they have a volunteer coordinator, which may sound like a, an, a superfluous position that you can, we only need this if we can afford it. No, if you're, if you're dealing with a lot of volunteers, then you need someone there who's going to ensure that on Tuesday, we contacted eight people, and on Monday, we contacted those eight people to make sure they're going to show up on Tuesday. And... If somebody's calling in saying, I would like to volunteer, who's the one point of contact that they want to uh, contact? Just so that there's a, a face to the organization. It's not just like you go onto a website, sign up, you show up, and hope that everything connected there. Um, and it could be a matter of putting processes in place. If, if there's a large number of volunteers needed, such as United Way does a day of caring, there's other organizations that do single days, putting it really effective online tool in place that shows here are the openings we have you put your team in and then your team shows up there so that you can go back and remember what time you signed up for or that you see what times are blocked and you can fit your time into the availability it's making the whole process as easy as it is for the volunteers that you rely on to deliver your services that's great that's great I, I think um, transparency is one of those intriguing things I, I think it also extends into our, our leadership that we have. And again, you and I, we've had conversations before and even going back to the beginning of our conversation uh, four weeks ago on, on the 7th, we were talking about the, the recognition that communication and leadership are so uh, connected. Uh, I think transparency, when we think about this, transparency also comes into uh, what we're communicating that, that happens behind the scenes, so to speak. We want to make sure that, that our actions in our board meetings and our actions and our uh, staff meetings are engaging and functioning in the same way as our engaging our actions out in public. That we're we're acting consistently with our values. We're acting consistently uh, as character and in, in an understanding of who we are and how we engage with others, including our internal others. So I think that that's one of those pieces of transparency that we sometimes get lost. We we have these organizations that are. They're really good and really effective at, at outside communication and outside uh, living of their values. But sometimes they forget that that also 
needs to happen internal into an organization. Oh, absolutely. And it's that question, you know, I, I hear you work there, you know, <laughs> is it a great place to work? And, you know, I, I've, I've, I've heard a lot about the organization. Is it a great place to work? And that could be, there could be two different answers and two different sets of messages there. And people may say, yes, but, and, and again, that's yeah, purely hypothetical, but say in our, in, in the, the shelter that the executive director was, you know, a leader who led by, uh, was dictatorial. And it was, it was more of uh, telling staff what to do versus delegating authority because it, you, know, you, you end up with different results. Uh, you end up with demotivated people. You end up with an internal culture where everybody's either demotivated or disengaged. But if you're empowering people to, and, you're, and you're communicating that they are empowered and that you expect the best of them and that you've given them the resources they need, well, then all of a sudden that organization starts to flourish because people feel ownership and and they're able to say, well, yeah, it's a great place to work because, and here's the reasons why that the you know, executive director empowers us. You know, we, we we meet with them weekly. We do staff development, but once once all these things were in place, we were able to you know quadruple the effectiveness of our organization because the executive director wasn't trying to do everything. They knew they had to delegate, and once they delegated, they just focused on that team, and then let the, that team focus on their teams. Yeah, that's. I, I love those words. I, empower is a word that is is so important to me, and I, I think that's one of those things that we recognize. We all have strengths and weaknesses. It's important to empower people uh, to really do the things that they do well, and, and to make sure that those are harnessed for the good of the organization. And again. When you talk about engagement, you're talking about engagement and empowerment. Those are things that fit with this next uh, aspirational principle here. Be positive. You said we will choose our words well, for they will motivate people to follow, donate, advocate, and believe in our cause. And so whether we're talking about uh, internal or external, we're talking about the importance of being positive. Tell us a little bit more uh, about that, Brian. Yeah, well... <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> negative words have the opposite effect of, of, of positive. So um, so if, if it's internal, it is that a matter of affirming and creating a culture where people know that the leadership expects more of them possibly than they can uh, achieve. But it's, it's not expecting them to be perfect. It's just that they have a high standard for performance and that the expectation is that people on staff will do their best to deliver the services in a manner that's consistent then with the values of the organization, um, speaking, speaking positively on behalf of the organization. Um, I, I take that, you know, well, I, I just think of, of the situation a couple of years ago where there was a university president who spoke ill of some of their uh, peer universities and from a, you know, kind of, I think a competitive standpoint, and how that demotivated you know people inside his university and, and caused a lot of uproar in the, the athletic community as well as just the, the collegiate community. They weren't positive words. So you know, knowing that positive words are what motivate people, then what? Why else would you use any other words? Um, same with the messaging that you use externally. 
uh, you know, we've we've worked with organizations that interview their uh, the, the the people who use their services and found out what the negative words negative um, impressions that those individuals have turned around then and started using the exact opposite of those words to try to counter those and then they had to back them up which they did yeah that's intriguing because two two pieces of research kinda come to my mind when you're talking about this uh, there's a lot of research that has focused on that three to one that we need three positives to one negative to counteract and move us forward uh, but there's also the research that has focused on the fact that up to 70% of our workers are at least mildly disengaged. And, and, and if, we're, if we're not using positive language, if we're not promoting the good, if we're not building up, then we're simply adding to that in our organizations. And I was thinking about, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, gosh, if 70% of our people who are paid to come are disengaged. What does that look like for for people who are just doing it because they have a, a, a connection to the cause? If we're not being positive, who wants to come and do this? I mean, we're talking about giving of your time, giving of your money, giving of your capital. You know, whether it's social capital or uh, personal capital, whatever that is. Who wants to do that when you feel the the poo poo parade, so to speak? <laughs> That's good. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great connection. And and then think about it. So you've got the people who are coming in who are then being led by demotivated people. Where, where does that take everything? And actually, I think that percentage is higher. NPR today had a segment on, and this was just this morning, on uh, All Things Considered, or no, what the morning, morning edition, that I think it's 12% of employees overall are engaged and passionate. So... That's low, you know. And, and, and that, there's a caveat here. That's not just during March Madness, okay? Yeah. <laughs> that's not just, you know, during the Super Bowl. That's, that's across the board. That's where it gets scary for us. And I think at the same time, it's, it's both scary, but when we think about being aspirational, it's that opportunity that we start thinking about the opportunities that are in front of us because we really do have a lot that we can harness if if we're if we have our eyes open to see if we're thinking about where we're going and we think about what we know about people as a whole, then then we're really able to do so much more with that. And, and again, I think that gives us a sense of power. And I'm going to move to this next principle: be powerful. We will believe our cause is meaningful and act in the belief that it has the power to change the world. And, and I think. I think when we've got this connection, we recognize all that's going on, that people need something to believe in and that they want to hope and they want to see change, and we give them the power to act. I mean, how does anybody else change the world? There's no other way, right? Right, and if you don't believe it, then who's going to? So think of it this way. So think about how being powerful and, and, and being positive ties into mission and what if mission were really more about this is the type of organization we want and need to be in order to be powerful and to change the world what if our focus as an organization became more on just creating an organization that was able to deliver no matter what the mission was but knowing what the mission is and being a powerful organization it just makes it much more effective so 
are you almost advocating an aspirational mission? Uh, possibly. I mean, I just as you were talking about that, it just came to my mind. If you know, what if we shifted that more toward what a mission statement really should be? In my opinion, is that it's our internal operating guidelines. It's what guides us. And See, that's, us. that's really unique, Brian. Because I, again, I'm I'm thinking back to part of our conversation we were just having a little bit ago, where we talked about how how few organizations that are nonprofits uh, started for a purpose when they actually reach that purpose, actually say, okay, we've done our job, we're done. You know, let's let's funnel some of our energy, our power, our resources, etc., to others who can, you know, utilize those things but do and move beyond where we are. So so I'm thinking if if we're really talking about an aspirational mission, when, when we've reached that, well then we've know we've we've reached our goal. Oh absolutely. And then what? So what you know, what aspect of mission should be succession planning or exit strategy? And that's so funny because I mean, how many of us still, even whether it's it's uh, board of directors or leadership positions or in churches, we almost think about you have been uh, elected or commissioned for a Supreme Court position where you know you're in until you die or until you you wave the white flag and say I can't do this anymore. I'm you know decrepit or whatever. Uh, so that would almost create and harness more energy because it's not. Oh, by the way, you're going to be doing this forever until you die. It's this is you. You have a mission. Your your power is recognized in completing that mission, and when that mission is complete, you're done. Sure, sure. Or maybe it, maybe it's term limits or time limits, and we're we're going to give it five years, or eight years, or ten years to accomplish this mission. And if we're not done at that point, we'll reevaluate what we need to do. So some built-in checks as to staying on, fo staying focused, staying on mission. But I think there, I just think there's a lot of things to consider that, you know, we talk about mission statements and it's, we will do this with this audience and have this impact without thinking about, but in order to do that, we need to be an organization where the leaders lead well and create teams that also lead well. and neglect the organizational development aspects, the leadership aspects, the commun internal communication aspects that affect everything outside. And I mean those those kind of insights are to me they're they're companion thoughts and, and topics to the the overall topic of the idea of raise your voice. That's a great point. Brian we're we're having so much fun here. I, I love this because uh, even as we're going through this and I mean you wrote it, and I've read it and played around with it and flipped it two ways to Sunday. Um, but we're, we're still, we're able to take this and we're able to engage. And I, I think that's one of the things that makes the Cause Manifesto so powerful is that it's, in many ways, it's a living document. It's, it's an active processing that we're engaging. Um, and, and we can see new ways to go from here. And I guess the, the exciting thing is, to me, that leads into the, the 12th principle which is be courageous. You say, we will dream big dreams and have the courage to change and adapt in order to make our vision a reality. So here we are, we're talking about having courage to say, you know what, rather than living in perpetuity, we're actually going to put a timeline on this. We're going to put a deadline, an expiration date. We're going to think about, you know what, sometimes we did this and we fell on our face. And so maybe we need to pivot. Maybe we need to rethink who we are as an organization, and it really does take courage in that. 
Oh yeah, or maybe you failed. You know, was the, the 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 book we were just talking about earlier? Maybe it was just a complete failure, and you realized, okay, we failed, but we learned these three things. So now we're going to be able to do it successfully. Fun, you know, <laughs> once we yeah. find new funding. <laughs> And, and that's it. And, and, and maybe it's find new funding, and maybe it's think our programs differently. I mean, you know, we, we talk about how many times that we we try to do something. We try to do something because it's up here. Um, but unless we're willing to fail, we're not going to do the big things. You know, we're not going to change the world unless we're willing to do these uh, big, hairy, audacious goals. Okay. Right, right. Uh, you know, until we're willing to engage those kinds of things, we're not going to change the world. And ultimately, you went back to the word impact and, and our strategist that we work with all the time, Ed Bogle. Ed loves that word. He, he's, he's all about impact. And he says, you know, who wants to fund something that has no significant impact? You know, who wants to fund a mediocre organization? Who wants to fund, in the instance of our hypothetical, who wants to fund the Indianapolis uh, Homeless Shelter or a Homeless Coalition who they serve three people and, and they're basically just keeping them afloat and, and they're not really doing them the justice of, of making them transitional mm -hmm. simply because, well, we just need some people to stay here so that we can look like we're doing something. Right, right. Um, yeah, and you know, sometimes that, that courage is, it's a matter of saying, you know, we just need to refocus. We need to just stop what we're doing and, you know, continue to deliver the services we were doing, but evaluate and re-evaluate. And, of course, that always involves the board, and, and there's a lot of dynamics. I mean, we make this sound so simple and, and theoretical, but sometimes applying it applying it gets messy. And sure. But until somebody is willing to step out and be courageous to say, you know, I don't think this is working, and to go back to the be positive, one of the... Uh, ideas I use is two stars and a wish. So, you know, hey, you know, we do this really well, and we've done this really well, but I wish we could do this instead. And, you know, so maybe it's, it's it doesn't have to be the complete putting out of the brakes. Sometimes it's a tr it's a, an evolution of what's happening in the organization, evolution of the organization itself, or the mission that it's, uh, and the vision that it's seeking to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, if you, you take that principle and you think about it even from a, a corporate product standpoint, um, if Apple had only continued with the iPad, or the, excuse me, the iPod, and, and that's what they said, okay, well, it sold a lot of units. So it's obviously it's good enough. Let's just, you know, let's just keep that out there. Uh, we wouldn't have the iPhone. We wouldn't have the iPad. We wouldn't have a lot of the advances even uh, that you see in the, the Mac operating system. And I'm not a Mac user, but I, I can think in those terms. Uh, you, you think about that. We, we see that it's very tangible from a product perspective. Um, and I think it's important for us to harness that kind of thinking even in the organization as well. It, it doesn't mean that what we did before was a failure, but we're courageous enough to look ahead to say, yeah, there's something in the future that we can do this even better. We can take and harness our learnings from these previous experiences and we can grow forward. Right, right. And that's that's why I, I remember when I wrote this this resolution that the idea of to be courageous, to change and adapt. And I think too often, again, it, there's founder syndrome. Well, the founder wanted this. Yeah, but 
let's talk to the founder. Let's let's get the board together and talk. We can't do that anymore. We need to change. We need to adapt. We need to you know, look at reality with you know whether it's a funding reality, a, an uh, audience reality, just a resource reality. There needs to be more flex flexibility and more willingness to just somebody step forward and say, I've got two stars, but here's my wish. Yeah, I think that's an important thing. We also have to be realistic, too, uh, when we think about uh, what the founder had in mind. The founder was probably pretty forward-thinking uh, when they founded the organization, thinking about how do we, very much aspirational, being courageous, and I think sometimes we forget that we need to be willing to adapt to the times. It doesn't mean taking our, our core beliefs, our core values, our core you know understanding. It doesn't mean that we have to throw those puppies out, but it also does mean that we need to adapt to changing times and recognize that form and function. Uh, we, we need to understand what's, what's really foundational to who we are and what's adaptable in order for us to be out there thinking and, and functioning for future society. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brian, it, it's... Man, if we could keep this up every week, this is great. This is the exciting stuff that we're talking about. Uh, we are, are so thankful for uh, your three weeks with us here uh, in this Tuesday at 2 on uh, Center Vision Foundation, uh, the Center Vision Leadership website. We were thrilled to, to have you join us on Thursday at 4 for uh, Nonprofit Chat. Um, and again, that, that website you can see here, not, hashtag Nonprofit Chat. Uh, I want to remind people again, I've said this a couple times already, but Brian has a, a fantastic contribution to issue number two, uh, which will land December the 1st in nonprofitperformance.org. So you'll be able to find and follow Brian. You can find Brian at the website that he has listed there, uh, aspire.com, A-E-S-P-I-R-E.com. And also uh, you can follow Brian at, at Brian Soy. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow Aspire on Twitter. You can see the great things that they're doing. Check out causemanifesto.org. Check out the things that are happening. This is a guy who is shaking things up, and, and not in a detrimental way, but he's shaking things up to cause us to think, just as we've been talking about for three sessions now, about being mission-driven in our organizations. Brian, thank you so much for being with us. We look forward to uh, continuing the conversation on Thursday and for waiting for the next book to drop and waiting to see what else comes out of Aspire. You guys are doing great stuff, and we're just excited to be alongside you in this journey. So thank you very much, Brian. So sorry. <laughs> it's, it's good to be in, uh, hanging out here with you, Todd, and to be involved with Cinevision leadership. Thank you much. Everybody have a great day. Join us for hashtag nonprofit chat Thursday at 4 p.m. And we'll see you again here next Tuesday at 2. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.